Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Our opening music today is the Emerald Local Gospel Music Group from a song called Somewhere Beyond the Sky, sung in the local Emerald language of Papua New Guinea. This program was researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 628 for release on Sunday, March 7th, 2021. On the program today, 500 refugees on a cannibal island. Our Japan DX report. And we'll be talking with a special guest in the studio from South America. Well, last week here in Wayscan, we presented the story of the sinking of the good ship SS Homewood off the coast of Chatham Island in the South Pacific. Very early Monday morning, November 25th, 1940, the Homewood steamed out westward from the wharf at Waitangi on Chatham Island at the beginning of a return voyage to New Zealand. Here's Ray Robinson with more on the story. Thanks, Jeff. Unwittingly, the Homewood journeyed directly into a trap that was set for it by three disguised merchant raider ships, the Comerland, Comet and Orion. These three German ships pretended to be Japanese cargo vessels with Japanese Maru names, complete with Japanese flags flying and large Japanese flags painted on the hull of each ship. Remember that in November 1940, Japan had not yet entered the war. For several days in advance, these three ships had been stationed just over the horizon, listening to radio messages as the Marine Coastal Station ZLC on Chatham Island communicated with ZLW in Wellington, New Zealand. At 7.25am, just 27 miles out, the Holmwood was accosted by the raiders and the crew, passengers and much of the cargoes were transferred to the German ships. The good ship Holmwood was then sunk by heavy gunfire. The three German ships then zigzagged northwards until they were east of New Guinea. On the way, the German ships accosted seven other vessels, and after transferring people and cargoes, those ships were also sunk, leaving the raiders carrying some 675 refugee prisoners. It became necessary to unload as many of these refugees as possible, and it so happened that the commander of one of the German raiders had lived on the island of Emirau for a while in 1911, while it was then a German colonial island in the Pacific. It was decided that they would disembark around 500 of their refugees on the lonely and isolated island of Emirau. However, the German commander had some misgivings about the location due to the fact that when he lived there 40 years earlier, the natives were notorious as wild headhunters and cannibals. When the three German ships arrived at Emirau just before Christmas 1940, they discovered that the 260 islanders had radically changed their lifestyle, and so the ships disembarked 496 of their refugees together with food and supplies, into the care of the small Adventist mission on the island. 
After the three raider ships left the island, it's reported, one of them sent out a wireless message to Australia in plain English, stating that the refugees had been left on Emirau Island and that they needed to be rescued. The small island called Emirau is located off the northern tip of New Ireland, about 350 miles from the coast of the much larger island of New Guinea, and indeed Emirau is considered to be part of Papua New Guinea from a territorial perspective. Emirau is a very irregularly shaped island that extends in the open ocean for about 8 miles by 4 miles. It's quite lonely and isolated, with the nearest land another 20 miles distant. The weather can be quite hot, due to the island location just marginally south of the equator. Emirau was home to half a dozen small villages with a population around 250. After the rescue of the refugees who'd been dropped off on Emirau by the German flotilla, a small coast watch station was installed with a low-powered tele-radio that reported to the island Musau, north of Emirau. On March 20th, 1944, the first contingent of American personnel landed on Emirau unopposed, and they quickly established a base for operations against the Japanese on other islands in the wider area. On Emirau, the Americans constructed two airfields with parking space for 300 planes, and they also installed three hospitals with a bed capacity for 410 patients. At the height of their occupation, a total of 18,000 American personnel were stationed on this island. However, they had earlier removed the entire native population and re-established them on Musau. At their main location, two wooden structures with concrete flooring were used as radio transmitter buildings, and two Quonset huts housed the radio receivers. An additional radio building with an antenna tower was installed on the very small nearby island known as Ia Nusau, and this was used for flight communications. Ia Nusau Island, with its one small village, is an almost circular island about half a mile across. The Americans only occupied Emirau Island for a fairly short period of time, just one and a half years, though towards the end Australians and New Zealanders began to take over. For much of their time there, the Americans operated an informal, low-powered radio broadcasting station that was listed on 1510 kHz. This station, Radio Emirau, was noted occasionally in New Zealand and Australia. However, a much stronger AFRS station with almost half a kilowatt on the same channel, 1510 kHz, was located in the Philippines, and this station drowned out any possibility of reliable reception of Emirau in Australia or New Zealand. We might add that an Australian businessman, Edward Carr, leased Emirau Island for 99 years in 2004, with the intent of developing local business enterprises, including international tourism. In 2011, there were reportedly around 500 indigenous people living on the island. Back to you, Jeff. Well, thank you very much, Ray. Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. In our search for information regarding the closure of the maritime communication station ZLC on Chatham Island, we acknowledge with appreciation a lengthy response from Tony Megan, who served at the Chatham radio station on three different occasions. He now lives at Alawa, a southern suburb of Sydney, where he's active with the amateur radio call sign VK2IC. Tony informs us that the maritime communication station VLC-ZLC 
on Chatham Island was indeed closed at the end of August 1991, and that any maritime radio communication associated with the Chathams was subsequently carried by station ZLM at Taupo in the center of the North Island of New Zealand. Alternative radio communications with Chatham Island are still carried on with Chatham, though with a different system of operation. Thus, it follows that any listings of Chatham Island, ZLC, after August 1991 in radio magazines are incorrect, and that these mistaken loggings are for other communication stations in New Zealand itself. You're listening to WaveScan from Adventist World Radio. This past week, we had a pleasant surprise visit here to our WaveScan studios in Florida from a young man who has been very interested in radio since he was six years old when his grandfather taught him about shortwave listening. I managed to get him in front of a microphone while he was visiting us. Uh, Ivan, your grandfather, if I remember uh, correctly, was uh, one of the uh, the owners or initiators of a very famous shortwave station in Venezuela, right? Yeah, he used to be pretty close to the family who created the station of Echo, Echo del Torres in Tachira, Venezuela. That's in the Andes Mountains, I know. And uh, it's. In the middle of a valley. <laughs> in the middle of a valley, okay. Uh, a few years ago here on, on WRMI, we, uh, we broadcast a, a special program that was produced about Echos de, de Torres, right? Yeah, uh, for the anniversary, I think so. It was for that. Yeah, I, I forget which anniversary, but yeah, uh, I think one it of those. was for the yeah. 78th. Uh huh, uh, that sounds about right. Esta es Ecos del Torbes, su emisora predilecta. Estaciones YVOD, 4980 kHz, banda de 60 metros. YVOD, 780 kHz, banda local. YVSC, 9640 kHz, banda internacional de 31 metros. Y para el mundo entero, a través de la red, www.ecosdeltorbes.net. En San Cristóbal, Estado Táchira, República Bolivariana de Venezuela, patria de El Libertador. Ecos del Torbes, el sonido mayor de los Andes. And so, uh, what, what has happened... Um, since, um, you know, Echoes and Torbis used to be on AM, uh, had a big, I think a 50 kilowatt AM transmitter, yeah. right? Uh, and then a, a shortwave transmitter on, on 4980 kilohertz. So now, is it on AM or shortwave or FM or anything else? I think it's used AM in 780 kilohertz. Yeah, I think they also got uh, streaming online. Ah, okay. So you can find it in Venezuelan's radio, I think. Yeah, and Echoes de Torbes was uh, very well known among shortwave listeners uh, because uh, towards the the end of things on the tropical bands in Venezuela, it was one of the few stations left. During the years, uh, over the years, it transmitted, uh, I remember, uh, La Voz del Cid programming from yeah. Miami and, uh, uh, and other, other programming. I, th I think it was all in Spanish, wasn't it? Yeah, only Spanish, but I think they got um, some identification in French, English, 
They used to work 25, 24 hours, but after since 20 years ago, they only work from 5 a.m. to 12 o'clock. And uh, of course, things are are very difficult for uh, for most all radio stations in Venezuela nowadays. I guess uh, it takes a, a lot of money to uh, keep the station going and all those big tubes and everything. Um, so. Um, how long have you been uh, in the U.S.? Uh, I came here around almost three years ago uh-huh. as an exchange student in Chicago. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and you're living where now? In down there in the Keys in Cayo Hueso. Key West, Key West, yes. Florida. Wow. And uh, but you don't work in radio. No, not right now. Uh-huh. Uh, any interest in working in radio? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> okay. You uh, you used to listen to shortwave, you told me. Yeah, my, well, my grandfather taught me how to do it when he was like six years old. At that time, of course, uh, shortwave was still quite used. In, uh, in Venezuela, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the Torbis was a big commercial station in, in Venezuela. After Rumbos in Caracas. Radio Rumbos, yeah. Esta es Radio Rumbos, la emisora de Venezuela Cadena Nacional. YBLL 670 y YBLX 570 kHz onda larga. YBLK 4970 kHz banda internacional de 60 metros onda corta. Y YBLL FM 99.1 MHz en frecuencia modulada. Y nuestra nueva frecuencia de onda corta, YBLM, 9660 kHz, banda internacional de 31 metros, desde Caracas, Venezuela, cuna del Libertador. Radio Rumbos, la emisora de Venezuela, cadena nacional. Orgullo de la radiodifusión comercial latinoamericana, ahora transmitiendo con sus dos gigantes del aire, 400.000 vatios de potencia irradiada efectiva, saluda a sus amigos al iniciar otra jornada de labores. And, and you were telling me also about uh, Radio Barquisimeto, which I'm sure some of our listeners will recognize. It was together, it was in the same building with the whole, well, I think all the stations in Barquisimeto yeah, were all together, right? Radio Palace, something like that. Uh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, the, the Radio Palace in, in Barquisimeto, which I had a chance to visit back in the, the late 1980s. Uh, I don't think it exists anymore. So anyway, uh, uh, well, we thank you for stopping by here, and good luck here in, in, in Florida, and uh, uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy Key West. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay. Thanks, Ivan. Ivan Perez uh, joining us today on uh, WaveScan. De esta manera llegamos al final de esta emisión de El Mundo al Día, no sin antes invitarlos a que sigan atentos a través de nuestra página web www.ecosdeltorbes.net. Y también en Twitter y en Instagram como arroba ecos del Torbes. I was talking to Ivan Perez of Táchira, Venezuela, whose grandfather was one of the founders of the famous Venezuelan shortwave station Ecos del Torbes. 
And by the way, one of Ivan's not-too-distant relatives was a former president of Venezuela, who I had a chance to interview many years ago for the shortwave service of the Christian Science Monitor. Well, today we're continuing with our conversation with Jerry Plummer of WWCR about the recent HFCC A21 shortwave frequency conference. Last time we were talking about frequency collisions for the coming A21 season. Do you have any collisions this time? Yeah, yeah, I did. In fact, uh, uh, there's, and I guess once you kind of get, you know, involved in this, some collisions are okay. Yeah. You know, uh, and I had two that are actually okay because they're not as damaging as what they may look like. The program is written to be very, very specific, and sometimes what appears to be a collision may not be. Uh, yeah. But I had two of those, yeah. I get, uh, we've got a few of those, too, at uh, WRMI. You are doing uh, a frequency management for WWCR and the Caribbean Beacons. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so with both of those, and of course you, uh, you have um, uh, quite a few different frequencies because of uh, what twelve transmit eleven twelve transmitters. Yeah, uh, it's uh, there, there, there were a number of collisions, but uh, most of them were were not serious uh, and right. are not really a problem. Things we've had in the as a collision in the past, and we know there's really no no problem. So. <laughs> Well, you know, I think a good example of what you're saying uh, about how if you're physically there with a person with a, for collisions, it's much easier. Uh, I had a, a collision two weeks ago that did not show up on the collision list, but it was from a, uh, it came from listeners who were listening uh, in uh, Los Angeles <laughs> and were getting interfered with by a Voice of America station in Thailand which really should not be a collision at all. Right. And it never showed as a collision. But one of our, uh, or some of our listeners in L.A. noticed it and brought it to my attention. Since I knew who to contact and since I knew them pretty well, I was able to get it done email. But if I did not know who it was, I would have had a lot of trouble explaining it because it never even showed up as a collision. Yeah. You know? yeah. You would not have been able to fix it. Uh, and we're talking about frequencies for the upcoming A21 season, which uh, right. begins, what, at the end, last Sunday in March, I think. Last Sunday in March, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and you say, well, that's two months down the road. But you kind of need to think about them now uh, to give the other group a chance to find another frequency or, or for you to find another frequency. There's many uh, on, a, on a live conference there's literally hundreds of collisions that uh, get resolved during the week because that's a chance while you're there to try out new frequencies and to make plans for the upcoming season. And if it does get in someone's way, then that's perfect opportunity to find out. And as, and as your opening remarks said, you know, if, if we were uh, in a live uh, conference, then as soon as this uh, plenary is open, we'll all go out at coffee break and we can discuss, you know, collisions and discuss what was brought up at the meeting. That's right. And, and those informal uh, conversations uh, uh, at the coffee breaks are often uh, problems are resolved with these things, you know? Yeah, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of problems that are solved outside of the actual building, you know, uh, just, just in conversation. Yeah. Uh, many are many are solved, uh, and I think that everybody agrees that that's true. 
Uh, and I think everybody is doing the best they can given our circumstances. Jerry Plummer there of WWCR in Tennessee was talking with me about the HFCC A21 Shortwave Frequency Planning Conference. More of that to come on future wave scans. Now we go to Tokyo. Here's Yukiko Tsuji with our Japan DX report. Hello and welcome to the DX report of the month from Japan Shortwave Club, aided by Toshi Otake and I'm Yukiko Tsuji. We have several DX reports from our club members this week. NBC Madan from Papua New Guinea was heard on 3260 kHz on January 31st from 10.50 to the sign-off at 12.03 UTC in Pishin. SIO rating was 2.52. Pop music and the talk program by a male announcer were broadcast until 11.52. The news in English started. Talk program in Pigeon was aired again at 11.55. Radio New Zealand Pacific was heard on 13730 kHz on January 30th from 0739 to 0751 UTC in English. SIO rating was 454. Saturday night program was on the air. Radio Free Asia via Tinian, Northern Mariana Islands was received on 11850 kHz on January 31st from 2230 to 2240 UTC in Kumail. SIO rating was 554. ID was given in English at 2230, then talk program by a male announcer in Kumail started. All India Radio was heard on 9580 kHz on February 7th from 1310 to the sign-off at 13.30 UTC in Tibetan. SIO rating was 4.33. Talk program was aired. Interference was from VOA on 9.585 kHz. Radio Kuwait was heard on 15.530 kHz on January 26 from 06.20 to 07.00 UTC in English. SIO rating was 2.52. Pop music program was on the air until 06.30, then news started. Pop music program was resumed at 06.40. Voice of Turkey was heard on 15235 kHz on January 27th from 0700 to 0720 UTC in Swahili. SIO rating was 353. ID was given at 0700, followed by news commentary, and Turkish songs. VOA via Santa Maria di Galleria from Vatican was heard on 12070 kHz on January 31st from 0713 to 0730 UTC in Hausa. SIO rating was 252. Talk program was broadcast. ID was given at 0728. China Radio International via Bamako, Mali, was received on 11975 kHz on February 6 from 2148 to 2227 UTC in French. SIO rating was 353, then down to 232. The program heard was a talk program about African nations with Chinese and African popular songs. ID was given at 2226. Interference was from Adventist World Radio on 
Finally, Japan Showtube Club issued QSL cards for the correct reports on our segment of WaveScan program. We are issuing QSL card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is jswcqsl.live.jp. I repeat, jswcqsl.live.jp. We continue to issue the printed QSL card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO Box 44 Kamakura, which is K A M A K U R A, postal code 248-8691, Japan. One ILC or two US dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, We'd like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, Mr. Tetsuya Toriumi, Mr. Motofumi Kai, Mr. Hirokazu Mitsumoto, and Mr. Kazuaki Oikawa for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening, and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Shotev Club. I'm Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo. Thank you very much, Yukiko. We end our program today with more gospel music from Emerald Island. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, we return to the early radio scene in Brazil, and we'll have our Philippine DX report as well. Several QSL cards are available for this program. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for WaveScan to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, I'll give you in a moment, and also to the station your radio is tuned to WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in the program. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSLs is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok 10110, Thailand. Again, it's Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok 10110, Thailand. The email address for other correspondence to WaveScan, other than reception reports, 
is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone. <laughs>